many cases come across their desk and they can co-opt any of them and turn them to their for their own use. This is Monica Perez, and we are here live with Mariam Hanane, the bee lady you may know from The Vanishing of the Bees, but also from this show where we've talked to her before about health, COVID, vax, uh-oh, just got us thrown off YouTube, oh well. <laughs> anyway, but today I want to talk about this uh, documentary on the real George Floyd timeline. It's fantastic. I want to hear all about it and a little bit more about Mariam. Hey, Mariam, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me, Monica. I'm, I'm pleased to be here. I am so excited because I absolutely love what you did with the George Floyd timeline. And I'll tell you why. Like, I've been deep diving uh, sci psychological operations and false flag events and all that kind of stuff for 10 years. And, a you know, in the past, a few times, I've, like, really gotten the pictures, gotten the, like, this doesn't work, blah, 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 really proved to people who will sometimes walk away and just say, I don't want to know. And they don't always admit that they're being, that this has been proven to them. But I just gave up after a while because it's so hard to get the material. It's, um, you know, and I just, but it's so important to present that evidence. And you really did it here. Even stuff that I don't think you wanted to hit people over the head with, just like the footage that you got speaks for itself. So, you know, I want to talk a little bit, remind people who you are and, you know, why you really know what you're doing journalistically and what it's cost you to have this kind of integrity. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I want to get a t-shirt that says, uh, make, bring journalism back again. So I'm a real journalist. I hail from Montreal, Canada. I uh, started out in the mainstream. I, I used to work for MSNBC and have been part of the internet since the get-go. Um, my dad was actually worked for IBM, so I was on a computer for since I was young. Now I realize that IBM is a Tavistock operation. <laughs> but uh, then I was I was pretty dismayed with the way in which they cover the news at MSNBC. I, I got pretty grossed out and eventually quit, and then went off went on to freelance for the Hollywood Reporter, Rally Magazine, Maxim, Detour when it was in um, business, Penthouse. And I, I hustled. I used to go once a year to New York and pitch mostly my ideas. And um, then I had a near-death experience and was hit by an SUV and dragged 50 feet across the cement. And my life changed. And it was really an initiation into Western medicine. Um, so since then, and then, I, and then after I, I wanted to do something that gave purpose, that gave meaning, and uh, the bees flew into my life, as I like to say, and I, I went on to make Vanishing of the Bees. And I was still part of the quote-unquote left or thought, you know, I, I lived in L.A. And then eventually uh, just got uh, ousted. And, and then when the Rona hit, and I've been covering vaccine safety for a long time, I write for Tenpenny Report, Dr. Tenpenny, um, just... Just to tell you the cost, I like to say Venmo, Vimeo, PayPal, GoFundMe, Instacart, Airbnb, Amazon, smeared by NBC and persecuted by the government and debanked by Chase. So I don't think that's an average human being anymore. You were really in the thick of that, and I'm sure you still are the last time we talked. So people can, I'm going to repost our conversation from then uh, so that people can hear them both kind of back to back. But I, yeah, so... I um, I know that it has cost you a lot, even personally, to stick by uh, the integrity. And I was pretty, like, I love that when professionals will turn their sights to, like, real journalism, because that's all it is. It's not conspiracy theory. It's nothing. You got a lot of footage about the George Floyd event. And if, 
if a real journalist were to put it together and objectively look at it, if this were 70 years ago, and I'm not saying journalism hasn't always had, you know, yellow journalism or whatever, but I look back and stuff in the 50s, you'll hear people say like, this is, you know, that people would still get mad. I feel like at every stage, the JFK assassination, um, 9-11, then the Parkland thing was another like red letter event for me as how journalism just shut down and shut down and shut down. And and this this George Floyd thing, there were some incidents there that just that are just in defiance of the official narrative. And I mean, how they can just ignore that evidence or not seek it out is just shocking to me. Yeah, it's shocking to me, too. And, and right. It, it was the yellow journal. Yellow journalism has been around and, and uh, fake news is old news, they say. Um, but not to these lengths. You know, I grew up wanting to work for Dateline for 60 Minutes, and now they're complicit in the cover-ups, like for real things. It's it's uh, pretty disgusting. Not to interject about my own experience, but I kind of stumbled into a radio gig because whatever I knew somebody who was in radio and I was just a libertarian like I didn't understand I didn't I, I mean I like my my first show and every show for like years I'd said I don't think 9-11 was an inside job like I would say that openly I just did not think so and it was actually in the process of preparing for my shows wow that I started to find the truth so I really don't I don't take as in, like people say, well, they they just don't know. I'm like, if you actually are trying to find the answer, you can't avoid but see the truth. And then when I would find stuff, I'd be like, wow, that's not really what happened, blah, blah, blah. I was told by people who cared about me to just, you know, not say that because I would sound crazy. And so I think that that they have to intentionally ignore contrary evidence. Yeah, I mean, it's mind-blowing. I mean, April Moss told me, there's a Project Veritas whistleblower when I first met her that days after the George Floyd incident that they got a memo saying that they all have to stand in line and back up Black Lives Matter. And she was like, but we haven't even done an investigation. So this was in the works and after a three-year forensic investigation. And just to tell your audience, this goes with a book. The book is... is, um, just kind of finished a draft after three years because I say real investigations take time. It's not overnight. So it was really out of a desire to, to see the timeline, I mean, to chronology. And uh, it, it, yeah, it was, so it was burst out of that and it really goes with a book. And if you think the movie has truth bombs, my book has a hundred times more wow, yeah. truth I'm bombs. I'm super excited because when I was watching the movie, uh, and I, you know, I consider it a documentary that, I mean, literally just documents yes. with, with official footage that, I mean, you just didn't say some of the things that I was thinking, which is, right. you know, I mean, is this fake? And then at a certain point, I'm not going to blow it. I'll tell you in a little bit, like one like turning point in the documentary that I was just like, oh my gosh, now I know what happened. Um, I mean, I'll tell people in, when we talk in 15 minutes, let's say we'll be at that point in this. And, um, but in, did you, I feel like the, in the, in the film that you, the sense I got was that you picked this topic because it was a turning point. I think this topic picked me. I really did not um, intend to spend this much time. I blame Zach for he's the <laughs> beautiful whistleblower because we were in the jungle. And uh, I want to also say before I say that story that so now in our lives, we are witnessing rewriting of history. So they're doing it with COVID, with the origin story. They're in the midst of rewriting the the origin story. And I say that there are tries, like truth mixed with lies. And as a journalist, I have to go through and go true, true, lie, lie, lie. And that I want to deliver 100% truth and nothing but the truth, not this 80-20, where there's a lot of content influencers that do excellent work, but there's that one little lie. Like now with the COVID's origin, they want to say that it's not a bioweapon. I'm sorry, that don't agree. It doesn't even have to be a lie. It can just be an omission. Right. Yeah, it, it can be an omission. But we're seeing, having been at January 6th, 
having taken part in this pandemic, um, we we are witnessing, or I'm witnessing, I'll speak for myself, how they re- rewrite history and how they've been doing it forever. So I, w- I was in the jungle and we were covering both of us independently, the Rona, pretty much 12 hours a day. And, and then Zach's like, can you come and choke me? And I'm like, what? <laughs> and he's like, I'm doing the George Floyd challenge. So that's how it started. See, now that, that sounds, I, I don't want to laugh at that because it sounds so bad. But, you know, I've, I've, there have been a few things like that where I, I'm in my family and I'm laughing at something preposterous. That's a big news story. And people around me in my own family will just be like, what, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, you see, I don't believe that story. So for me, some of these preposterous details aren't like, wow, can you believe it? It's like, wow, I don't believe it. So then right. it's it can be funny, which I think is what got, when Brad and I were doing the Drive Time News Blast and the Propaganda Report during lockdown, I think it, that's what really got people a lot of us all through it because we could just laugh at how ridiculous it was and it made us all feel sane. But there was a point in your documentary where I had to stop and just do an exercise like 15 times. And I was like, that can't really? happen. Yes, it can't happen. You didn't mention it. I don't know if you didn't notice it or what, but to me, it was the absolute turning point. I was like, that can't happen. I know what's the truth now. And I'll, I'll tell you. Oh, I, I'll hopefully, have to, yeah, you'll have have to tell me. Probably. I mean, I've looked at every single I mean, we can jump like right said- to it as soon as we, you know, just finish talking about what where how you got here. So for 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 this film, I just there's so much I could go off on. So it's very matter of fact. I wanted to make it very matter of fact. I've been accused that my narration is snide or sarcastic and that will land um, poorly on people. However, I mean it's I wrote the film so it's it is my commentary. Um but it's very matter of fact and I purchased all of the footage from the government. So why is it that this little brown girl has bought all the footage? And where are all the journalists on this entire planet that I am the only one to attempt to deconstruct this false flag psychological operation? Yeah, I don't know. Because, I mean, I can't believe you got that footage just by, what was it, Freedom of Information Act? Or is it just available? Uh, yeah, I, pay, I paid like ten thousand dollars for it. Oh, but 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 to whom do you pay? The courts, the Minneapolis courts. They know me there. Uh, the the Minneapolis courts because all of these trials. So at the end, when they released the exhibits, I just asked, "Can I buy this?" Um, and I had to hire someone to go and pick up the drive and then send it to me. Wow, I couldn't wait. I mean, I've done tons of FOIAs for the book. But for the for the film, yeah, just purchased it from the from the government. I mean, even his appeals lawyer, Derek's appeals lawyer, they know me by now, and I've shared the film with them as well. So I just want to finish. So Zach asks me to choke him, and then I say, "Well, if we really want to know how this guy died, I, I have to. We have to call the court, the medical examiner." And I've been to the LA coroner's office and written about death. And anyway, so I call and they say to me, it's going to take weeks and weeks and weeks. And then literally hours later, CNN has preliminary reports. So I'm like, what? They just told me literally that it's going to take weeks and weeks. And I realized that they were doing this on purpose to start the prote- the safe protests that are really riots. If you if you create the narrative before all the evidence of what the true story is, you own that narrative. I've seen that a lot of times. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and and, and in fact, in the police reports, it says public narrative, which hints to a non-public narrative or or, or the truth. And then another thing, I I interviewed Giovanni Thunstrom, who was George Floyd's boss at the um, at the not the El Nuevo but the other place, um, Cantina. And so he told me, he was repeating these talking points and he seemed to know even though he wasn't there and I found that bizarre. And then the sister Bridget Floyd was on TMZ and she was, I'm like, wait a second, what's that you're wearing? You're wearing an I Can't Breathe t-shirt? In, in the day after your gross <laughs> Charlie Hebdo is like that. They had all pre-printed signs. I am Charlie in Paris. I was like, mm-hmm. 
so, right? It's like ready to go. Like it but then an I hour. Did, <laughs> it was really nuts. It, this was leftover shtick uh, paraphernalia from from Eric Garner, right, who in right. 2014 oh, also I said I can breathe yes. and was also represented by Benjamin Crump. So I have to thank George Perry Floyd for really, you know, in these three years, I think we've all, I don't know, um, just really to are awake to if we have critical minds to to what's going on. But it was because of George um, that led me down the path and, and, and to discover Tavistock. Really? Yeah, and, and Courtney Turner. Yes. A shout, shout out no, to I Courtney to, in it. I was going to get into it, like deep dive it myself. I was like, I'm just going to talk to Courtney. <laughs> totally. But anyway, it was it was through the... George Floyd challenge that really got me going. And then when the Derek Chauvin trial began, and I'm like, I have all this shitload of notes. Why don't I write a book? And I've covered all the trials, like the federal trial of the three officers. I don't even think anyone's really clued in. And that including Lane. Thomas Lane? Yeah. Who was in the ambulance narrating and he was six to the foot eight, by the way. Wow. Well, I He's never, taller than I George Floyd. I, we have to talk about the ambulance. Everything revolves around the expect that Lane's footage in the ambulance. I have a new George Floyd challenge, and it stems from that EMT. This is what I was doing all morning. Okay, so so in the EMT, I think it was at I have a I have a timestamp in your documentary where it was. Um, it was around 47 minutes into the documentary. And Lane, so what happens is they come to the scene and they get, they put him in a like grab and go. They don't do any CPR on the ground. Load and go, Load yeah. Load and go, right? And they put him in the empty and they go. And two things you did not mention, like you didn't emphasize, but it was definitely wacko. They take him a couple of, blocks away and they just stop the freaking ambulance is stopped on the side of the road and not going to the hospital and they're doing they're so completely not doing anything like sincerely medical even to the point where the stuff they have even when they're when they're um gluing things to his body like the one thing like on his stomach is like has a picture of a back it says back and it shows you on the back where you're supposed to stick this thing and they didn't and meanwhile they're like you know jerking him around with the electro whatever's and uh the paddles so but this was what was absolutely not so lane lane officer lane whatever is in the in the thing for some reason and the reason we know that it's just parked on the side of the road is at some point he gets out and he goes and gets into like a fire truck nearby i'm like why aren't they going to the ambulance either he's absolutely dead and they know it in which case they would maybe go to a morgue or whatever but they wouldn't stop on the side of the road i mean even they tell you like don't don't get, whatever, they don't get in the car and drive to the hospital, call the ambulance because they can do it at your place. You know what I mean? Like, that's what they tell you. So anyway, he gets in thing and he starts like recounting this weird narrative about what just happened. They're like, what happened? And presumably what they wanted to hear if they were real EMTs is, well, he's bleeding because he hit his head on the on the plexiglass and then he stopped breathing when he was on the ground. Instead, he's like, well, he like was trying to pass a counterfeit bill. I'm like, why are you telling the EMTs this? But that's not what was crazy. At around 47, yeah, around 47, so you see him and I'm looking and I'm like, man, this guy looks actually dead. Like he's not breathing at yeah. all. Like he yeah. looks dead, absolutely, 100%. Mm -hmm. And I was totally like, you know what? And you said in the thing, maybe they didn't mean for him to die. It's obviously a psyop. Like, uh, what is going on? And, and I just thought, you know, I thought maybe it was a different time and they just rewrote it. Or I don't know, there weren't enough masks. But then all of a sudden, all the people who weren't wearing masks were wearing masks again. And I wondered if they were, like, staging it was crazy. But he's in the thing and he really, really looks dead. I'm like, that's probably why they're not working on him. Because something, you know, he was really actually dead. And, yeah, and then, so his, his arms, because he's a big guy, his arms are hanging off. And then, at one point, at 47, somebody, I think Officer Lane, takes takes George Floyd's hand and puts it on, like, some garment that to cover his genitals, because they basically ripped his clothes off. Right. And George Floyd's hand stays there. It stays there, and it keeps that cloth in place 
over his private parts. And his shoulder is off the stretcher or his elbow is completely off the stretcher. This is a heavy arm. And I just tried like as many times, as many positions, different garments and stuff to see if, if a, if a dead hand could stay holding that thing. And I, my conclusion is that's it for me. That was it. I was like, I don't think that's possible. Okay. See, well, one, I want to say the reason also I made the film and it was only after I finished that I could take off my director cap on and watch it and then as make an assessment myself for, for watching it in chronological order because all I wanted to do was accentuate for my book and visualize it so I can see in order, right? Because they purposely, um, the way these psyops, like always have new evidence, always dropping evidence. So it's wonderful to have a deeper conversation and to do interviews with people who actually care to do their homework. Like I do, you know, I study, I've been on shows where they, I know they haven't seen the movie and it doesn't allow for a deeper conversation. So anyway, so in regards to this load and go, I'm still in the jungle. I call the Hennepin Healthcare and I'm like, what's with this load and go? Why didn't you treat him on the sea? And they tell me to read a Star Tribune article. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm like, so is that crazy. the way the journalists do it? Yeah, they stay. They go and they read another article. The and Mueller that's what report. Just... The Mueller report was like 250 pages. It was riddled. Like the footnotes were New York Times articles. Bass backwards. Yeah, ass backwards. So they say in that article, which I was left because it was very convenient when they want to bring up HIPAA that they brought up HIPAA and I couldn't access because I even said, well, how did this journalist get the, get this audio? I want to hear the audio of the, of the, um, the, the transmission when they're called. Yeah. The EMT when, because, because Derek and, and, and Tao weren't even supposed to go there. They were back up. They were canceled. And Tao in a BCA interview says that he decided to go to the scene because they were in gangland and because these guys were rookies. And then when I interviewed a police, uh, an activist against police brutality, she's, she laughed and she goes, everybody knows that the cops work with the bloods. And so that makes, it made no sense. Anyway, so back to the, back to the lo load and go. On one hand, they blamed the bystanders. On one hand, they said that the bystanders were more helpful than the cops. And <clears throat> on another hand, they blame the bystanders. That's the reason why they had to take the, the ambulance to 36th and Park. So I interviewed Chris Martin, the boy who took the 20. And uh, he seemed genuine to me. He seemed like he was used. He's not in on it. Um, for instance, I asked him, so when you were in the courts, I'm just curious, did you have to wear a face mask? And he volunteered, not knowing who I am or what I cover, and said, well, I'm not getting the vaccine. And I said, oh, okay, why? He goes, it's too new world order for me. Whoa, so this, really? This, yeah, he, so this shows that he's clued in. He's 17. He was 17 at the time. But what I found in these psyops is they compartmentalize the players, and then everybody has their own blind spots. And there is real racism. And so they can't see, I mean, I, I couldn't even see till the end um, the extent of the operation. And then on top of that, they weave in red herrings to send people the, in different directions. But people are not journalists. They're not going to do the work that I've done. So it hits a dead end. And I've run into these red herrings weaved into this story. So then I, I during my interview with, with Chris Martin, he tells me everything after they put him on the gurney was for show. He doesn't know the extent of it, but they wanted to look like they did their best. So wait, there was a, a, a Middle Eastern looking kid who came out and told Tao, I'll be, beat the shit out of you if you touch me, right? That's not that, who took that's the not 20. Chris Martin. Chris the Martin is the is black kid inside who was interacting with Mr. Adam behind the counter. Yeah, that's Chris Martin. Uh, there's another um, African um, black boy who's the one who made the 911 call that is shielded from the media. And then there's little Nabil who is uh, 
Mr. Adam's nephew. Nobody on this planet has talked about Mr. Adam. We can get to him yes, in a moment. So I just, must. So Chris tells me he was dead. So after speaking to him, I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I trust that this young boy and anyone knows when a spirit has been snuffed from a body. And then I catch by watching the videos hundreds and hundreds, I mean, so many times to catch something, right? And I did catch a lot of things. I, I hear this Middle Eastern guy goes, he's dead already. And I'm like, yeah, he's dead. He, he was dead. Of course, now he could have taken like in my book, I say something a la Sleeping Beauty to go under because the number one question I get is, do you think George Floyd is alive or dead? I have obtained and I show in, in the movie one autopsy image where it, he looks pretty damn dead to me. Um, so on one hand, I'll just finish with this. On one hand, Joel Gilbert was um, instrumental in, in coaching me. He did the Trayvon Martin hoax, the movie, the Trayvon Martin hoax, which I highly recommend, which shows beyond the shadow of the doubt that Benjamin Crump could committed victim fraud. So on one hand, people believe that they can just take any, like many cases come across their desk and they can co-opt any of them and turn them to their, for their own use. Uh, they being the government and the media, which work hand in hand. Okay. And then on the other end is let's say props to my, to editor Sean Hibbler, who believes that it's all fake. Right. And I am in somewhere in the middle where I have to be able to back up everything that I say, and only in the end of my book do I allow myself to give people my working conspiracy theories on what Right. That's could, what I was wondering. Be. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's in regards, to the, in regards to the load and go, there is no reason why they sat on 36th and Park. And I want to tell the audience and you that it so happens that the Minnesota the, where they took him is called the stab room. You can look it up. The stab room is the number one place in the country for resuscitation. <laughs> well, what a what a joke! Because would they take that long to try to resuscitate me? Yeah, like forty five minutes. The average time after twenty minutes, you're like, oh, this person's dead. Yeah, you actually don't want to resuscitate somebody after twenty minutes, just so you know. Yeah, you know right? what I mean. The, the brain DNR, damage. They say like you actually like that's why people have DNRs because they don't want to have to do not resuscitate. But a few things came up in what you just said, and and I'm going to kind of go backwards. So so the other thing to your point about you can't be sure whether he's dead or alive. Like okay, so I was like that guy is holding that thing on his like no matter right, how right. good an actor is, he cannot let go that thing. And who would care anyway? These are a bunch of male EMTs with a dead body, like. They see naked. However, okay. So, but when I looked at an image of the tox report that was in your documentary, it showed that he had 11 nanograms, something like that, NG of fentanyl That's in his bloodstream, along with many other things. So I yeah. immediately looked up what is the fatal dose of right. fentanyl. So it is, for accidental fentanyl, the actual average is 11.8 in one study I found, and we'll put in the show notes, but it can yeah. be less than that. Seven is can be a fatal dose. So, so if that tox report is real, then he had that should be a fatal dose, especially combined with everything else. And as a matter of fact, Adam Rich, the little kid on Eight is Enough, his autopsy just came out today, and he it was a fentanyl overdose. And for $67, I could have bought the coroner's report from L.A. to see, because I wanted to see what how much fentanyl was in his system. Was it 11? Was wow. it 10? I would like, yeah. I know, right? and I thought I could spend $67. First, I'll ask Mar Mariam and see if she thinks it's worth it to see, just get that one little tidbit. Maybe she knows all about fentanyl and I don't need to look up Adam No, Rich's. I don't know. I don't know all about fentanyl. They'll only look for, I called the toxicology report. I have an interview. It's from 2020. Um, years later, Zach was helping me. We were looking at the specimens were going to be destroyed. And so I called wow. the tox. Yeah, they're destroyed now. Wow. I called again wow. and, and now it was like 14 Effing knocks. 
I couldn't get past the fucking front, excuse my language, the front desk. It was like a whole new place before I got the toxicologist. And, and so you'll only find what you ask for. And in reality, I also I have a chapter in my book where I talk about cyanide poisoning and the way in which mm-hmm. the, the, the reaction from cyanide poisoning so that it could have been an, 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 and a, a detective on the stand at the federal trial says that there's undetectable undetected substances because this is fentanyl from the cartels. Right, because there's nanofentanyl in there, and that's a precursor of illegal fentanyl. So, right. And that was in addition to the 11 fentanyl. Also, um, yeah. the he said, uh, oh, he they said at one point that he was foaming at the mouth. I mean, I just think he was getting excited, but I mean, if there was a trace of, it doesn't arsenic or cyanide cause a little foaming at the mouth but he would yeah. have been dead immediately i think but just i don't think he was po- poisoned at that right I, I agree with you i'm that really shouldn't but if they're like you know that thing that you did a year ago we're gonna make you rodney 2.2 we're gonna immortalize you just say i can't breathe and keep saying it knowing people don't realize what you're talking about he had a similar incident prior to that. And that, to me, is another kind of smoking gun, is that I really feel like they take authentic incidences. And we're yes. just completely in the rabbit hole right now. So, like, anybody right. listening thinking that we're going to, you know, <laughs> we're, I, and I'm not saying that it's a conspiracy. I'm just saying, like, that we're just, you know, this is we're in the, the, <laughs> the sanctum sanctum. I, I say, Monica, we're, I, I'm in the deep bowels of George Floyd. Yeah, like, I'm yes. so in there. We are there. And I'm not holding back because that initial thing looked authentic because the cop was getting pissed off and they weren't going crazy or anything, but I feel like they recreated it on purpose. And to because they take real things, I think part of the authentication, which probably comes from Tavistock studies, part of they take something real. That's why true crime is so great, or like fictionalized true crime. It's like, but it really happened. Like you need to believe it because it, it does really happen. It could really happen. And it did really happen to him. And then once yeah. they have you, it's that's the exact guy that they say, Hey, like you're in big trouble now. We're gonna throw the book at you, cooperate in this, and and we'll put you in the witness protection program. Although he would have to get plastic surgery because everybody knows what he looks like. Yeah. Although sometimes I think they actually do kill people. Yes, he's disposable. He's not a Charles Lieber. Yeah. And right. And I believe that when he was sentenced to aggravated robbery in Texas, that when he left, when he was released, that he was an informant. What year was that? I want to say that he was released in 2014, uh, right before he he started his new life and in Minneapolis. And then I said to myself, huh, I wonder if there's a drug corridor from Minneapolis, mm-hmm. from nice. Texas. And there is Texas, Texas, Minneapolis to Mexico. And he was a truck driver. And they don't, <sighs> they they totally um, just dismiss and, and hide that he was a truck driver. Maya Santa Maria had a truck driving company, supposedly felonies, his bro was also a truck driver. So was he driving? Wait, drugs? felonies. Yes, the person's like name is felonies. Yeah, knees. Yes, are, are they messing with us? <laughs> yeah. Is well, I guess he's, it's called, just a joke name, I guess, for sister him. Sister called Murderopolis. Oh, my yeah. gosh. What about— No, that's that's a joke. joke but, yeah. What yeah. about um, Maurice? So, like, do you think he—when he kept saying, talk to Mr. Adam, I'm cool, or whatever he was saying to the cops, because you dedicate the film to Maurice— yeah, just spoke to Maurice last week. So he was there with George. He was his friend who was in there supposedly also passed a counterfeit. That was what one of the people said in it, but I don't know if that's true or not. So, but he kept saying, talk to Mr. Adam about me. Do you want to fill in a little bit about Maurice? Yeah. So Maurice Lester Hall was with George Floyd that day, spent the day with him. And um, I initially suspected that he said, George up and that he was part of it. So why did I think that? So they let him go and he escapes to Texas. Now, if you, when you watch the movie, 
you'll see there's one attempt to get his ID from Alexander Kang, who's black, by the way. And then Thomas Lane takes his ID. The ID was fake, but Thomas Lane very conveniently leaves it in his notebook. Um, he also left the pipe on top of the car, so was Thomas Lane nervous? Um, so Maurice leaves. He gets caught as a fugitive out of state in Texas. They question him all night. That's June 2nd. And then I'm reading the docket. This is before I befriended Maurice. And I see, okay, June 2nd, you get arrested. June 3rd, all, everything is sealed up and the charges are dropped. And you, you're found to have the beginnings of intellectual disability. And then I say in the movie, like all convicted mentally ill felons, mm -hmm. you're on Good Morning America on June 4th. What the F? So they tell him they're, he's going to be a key witness. But of course, there's, you cannot bring up the drugs. So they, I believe they lied to him. And they, he sincerely believed he was going to have a new lease on life. He goes to a very prestigious, I don't know who paid for it, I couldn't get clarity, to clean up his act. But what also happens is that if he admits himself into the hospital and is dubbed mentally ill, what he's really doing is stigmatizing himself that at any given moment they can say this guy has no credibility, he's right, mentally ill. For so sure. as it gets closer they drop him as a key witness. And then now he's relegated to defend, to to be on the witness stand on behalf of Derek. That ain't gonna, that ain't <laughs> gonna happen. So he pleads the fifth. So I suspect he's a snitch. So I do a FOIA and I get his phone number wow. and I call him and he picks up. And wow. he's, talking, he's talking very, I have an exclusive two hour interview online. No, on I knew my that Rumble you talked chat. to him. Yeah, but yeah. I didn't realize that's how you got his phone number. Yeah, so I call him and he thinks I'm a Washington Post journalist. And he's like, I have some footage. Uh, I have some footage of me and George at Chuck E. Cheese. Why don't you talk to your team? Oh, yeah, my big team of Uno. Yeah, I'll exactly. talk to my team. So I'm like, we talk, we talk. And then he disappears. I'm like, he must have like figured out, you know, who I am or, or whatever. But what had happened was he was sent to a halfway house and they were starting to, the cops were starting to give him trouble. And then he says, Mimi, which is my nickname, Mimi, I'm going to grant you an interview. And I didn't, I didn't expect that I would like the guy and that I would, we would hit it off. He's like calling me mama and you know, now I'm keeping in touch with, I speak to him in jail. So we talk, we talk. He hasn't seen the movie. The day after the exclusive two-year two anniversary and a two-hour interview, they arrest him. And so I'm speaking to Joel Gilbert, and he says to me, did you ever think, Miriam, that maybe, you know, him speaking to you is what got him oh. in trouble? So then I'm like, that makes me feel horrible yeah. that he's a loose end. And um, he's still in jail. They brought all he's his still in charges. Jail? Yeah. What is he in he, jail for he, right now? Just a drug for charge? For 2018 charges of ironically choking his baby mama. Choking his baby mama. Wow. And then I spoke to the mom and I said, why doesn't the baby mama drop the charges? They won't let her. She tried to drop the charges. CPS took his child. And, you know, in our awakening, like in my awakening since the age of 13, when you're in that self-development, like Maurice is trying to better himself. And, you know, that line that he says in the film, because I wanted to talk about the Freemasons, but I, I go into that in the book, but I didn't want to turn people off. And I wanted to... That was a nice just, little dog whistle for me, though. When he says yes. it's a big Masonic plot. He says it, <laughs> he says it on oh, yeah, off camera. It. Off camera, I'm like, Maurice, it's not just the cops that are part of the Freemasons. I wish, I wish I could tell you that you and I are both being targeted, but for different reasons. I like we just connected, and and he connect. He emails me via JPay. He he, uh, you know, Pokey the rapper was friends. The one who collapsed on stage. From the big pokey. Oh, I see. Like Travis well, his Scott. Name, no, his name is P 
pa- big pokey. Yeah, I no, don't know I get if it. That, I mean, that's funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just weird but, how these names can right? be synchronous. Like somebody said to me the other day, Travis Scott, Tavistock. I don't know. Yeah, that's mine. That's why <laughs> I told that, you, you that. Tell that's me that? from me. That's me. Yeah. I don't think yeah. it was it. I don't think but it was you who said it. From it. Me yeah, that's because funny. That's mine. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, I just came to me. I'm like, what? Travis Scott? Yeah. Travis Scott. That's not his name. His name is like, you know, Fernando or something. Like I his think name McDonald's is not- had a Travis Scott burger. So it was definitely really? a worldwide, yeah, global name. Yeah, they play, they play, they play with us. So anyway, Maurice, just to wrap things, I think he's a loose end. I would like to share with the audience too that the day that Alexander got sentenced, which you see in the movie, he got sentenced before effing hearing, hearing ever started. Oh, yeah. that. So who tweeted that? The Washington Post? Someone tweeted, no, someone, yes, no, ABC. Okay. ABC tweeted it, and someone tweeted it to me, and I'm like, I'm on the Zoom call. The hearing hasn't even begun. Yeah, right, wow. What are you talking wow. about? Oh, let me guess. In- <laughs> Building seven, is- wait, what? Oh, wait, just wait. Oh, right? there it goes. <laughs> right? And no one, if if we were living in a real world, my catching that would get some legs. Right. Just like, just like my movie yes. would get legs. Totally. But on the anniversary, someone sends me a viral tweet of the autopsy. Oh, the autopsy report that's three fucking years old? I know, oh, I that saw autopsy that too. Report? It was like, and then it was debunked. Because that was the thing that like made me wonder, is he alive or dead? Because it did say in that autopsy report that he had a fatal level of fentanyl. My sister died of a fentanyl overdose. So I was going to actually be cheaper for me to find her. Really? Yes. Yep. She was a junkie. I'm sorry to hear it that. Was, it was terrible because they... She is a, it's a long story, but she was in, she was locked up for 60 days. And when they let her out, we were just like, don't let her out. She will kill herself immediately. And she did. And it was, but when they did the autopsy, it wasn't just that she did too much hair because that's what they do. They don't understand if they've never been clean that 60 days, you're like a baby, <laughs> you know, you have to cut it to one tenth. And she didn't. And then, yeah, so the fent, but it was the fentanyl that killed her. And I would, I'm curious to know now, and I will check that out with the blood alcohol. But so his, so that it's not just fentanyl. So other stuff is in there too. Like in her case too, there was other stuff in there, but they say it was the fentanyl that killed her. And with him, so if he is really dead, it would be that. But if he weren't, if this is such like your guy thinks it's like completely fake from top to bottom, then that too would be fake. So why would they put that in there? Right. Cause it, counters the official narrative. Why put a detail like that? And of course, I think it's because they never will take the unadulterated, like, this is definitely a travesty situation. It has to have two sides to create the conflict. So like, they have to force people to, they have to force people, they, if you stand up for him, even with say his, like the questions about his story, you you have cast your lot with what I call the basket of irrationals. You'll just do whatever you are told. Whereas out here in L.A., there was a guy, Anthony McLean, who was shot in the back running away from a car where his friend was involved in a minor traffic stop. The officer who shot him in the back, I think maybe even twice, his camera wasn't on. They found a gun on him. I'm doing air quotes. That was like in pieces, like pieces of a different... Of different guns and they were like this is what he threw and it broke apart when he threw it it's like i don't think so it was so obviously wrong 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 and it you probably never even heard of this guy because anyone looking at his story would be horrified of course there was the grand jury like there was nothing the cops got no problems whatsoever because everybody would have stood behind him absolutely everybody no question whatsoever so now they have to throw in my opinion and this is going even deeper than the rabbit hole we're in already in my opinion, they take those kind of details so that you can say there's conflict around the narrative right. and then they right, can right, create right. a problem and label us and get pit us against each other. Totally. Even though we are pretty much all on the side of justice, it's just what is justice? What are the facts? The facts can really separate us. Even if we're on the opposite ends of an ideological divide, the facts a lot of times will get us all together on the, yeah, you can't kill, you can't steal. These are certain civil liberties. These are certain human rights. You can't cross that line. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I won't rant. Uh, okay, so. I want. I just want to finish with, with Maurice. Sorry. So with Maurice, the, he was getting sentenced that afternoon after Alexander Kang. So I'm on the Zoom call, because that's how we conduct just us right now. And his mom is there. His friends are there. A retired lawyer 
even offered to take Maurice to his house, to home and care for him. And at the very end, I unmuted myself and I said, and the, and the judge, she was like seething with like treating him. She was treating him like a non-person. I'm sorry, but you're, you know, just, ugh. So I unmuted myself and I said, you are all a bunch of hypocrites. You made excuses for George Floyd's drug addiction and his career criminal life. How about this black man? They, they shut down the entire Zoom call because of Mimi. And then I was c recording it on OBS. So I went to play it and they scrubbed my voice. So then I wow. called the mom to be like, oh, did you hear me? And she's like, yeah, everybody called in the friends of Maurice and like, who was that girl? But I stood up for Maurice and that's why I dedicate the movie to him because how about his black life, you fucking hypocrites? And what about the fact that shutting the world down and making all this stuff go on Zoom, making completely censorous, there is no First Amendment right to assembly anymore. It's outrageous. That's such a demonstration of how they can silence this uh the people, wow, that is shocking. Yeah, I don't even know how they struck my voice because the room heard my voice. I heard my voice. But when I played back the OBS recording, which I was doing for my own self, mm -hmm. my voice was not there. Maybe people were mic'd up inside the room and that was the audio they were using for that recording. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's, it's possible, um, but they definitely heard me. I noticed that there was one point where... Officer Tao, I think his name was, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. You point out that he basically cues the extras, I'm going to call them, but cues the right. bystanders. And they all come like at once and they all start saying stuff, s setting up a narrative. And a couple of the things they say is, uh, you maced him. You maced him. You didn't have to use mace. You you just reach for the mace. And they absolutely didn't mace him. Nobody says we didn't mace him. It was. It looked to me like they were just, you know, okay, just, I'm sure it's a filming technique to just keep the camera rolling. Derek put his hand on the mace. Is that the part oh, you okay. mean? okay, yeah, because, yeah. Put, puts his hand on the mace and um, is about, you know, so that's where that came from. But he from. didn't use it. Okay. All right. So it, came, it looked, my impression was they were telling me that that guy was on the floor because he was maced. And that could have even been a cue. That could have been a cue just like Tao's cue. Right. I don't know. And then when you were saying someone with a Middle Eastern accent was saying he's dead already, I feel like they say stuff like that to set, to set that into your mind. No one would catch that. You would ne no. Oh, no one okay. would even know that ever happened. Okay. I just caught. I okay. caught that. This is a guy that's not. I even. I don't know who he was. I've. I tried to find which which person that was. But you do hear it in the movie. I. I. I, uh, I accentuate oh, that. He's. He's on the side. He's not a main uh, bystander, mm -hmm. and he just says he's dead already. Right. Right. So as as a. So I don't. I do agree that they put in beats like, you know, you saw in in the beginning, right? Maurice, why is Maurice and George go and scout the street? Do you, in mm -hmm, the beginning mm -hmm. of the, like, what did you think of that? Do you know what point I'm yes, talking about? Yes, I do. They they walk out and they stand actually in the street and look down the street. I don't know, but at one point I was wondering if like traffic had been stopped on that street. Like there, that street looked a little. Low volume. So, what were you? What were you thinking <laughs> that they were doing? What were they scouting for? Yeah, to me, I, well, what's going to happen in in twenty minutes from yeah. now? Also, why were there X's all over the floor of the convenience so, store? Yeah, because the six feet apart were beginning to start. <gasps> oh, funny. Because at first I thought it was like on staging. A set, yeah. Uh huh. Right. But then when I looked at footage, because I wanted to see. Right. I want to make sure this is not like six feet apart and they're starting to show us where we can stand. There were other exes. The next day was when the mask mandates came into play, like literally the next day. Oh, okay. Because I did see they had some like school closures and stuff there starting in March. Yeah, well, well, like you noted, nobody's wearing a mask. Right. And literally the next day. Okay. Because by, by 11.30 the next day, um, Jacob Fry, the... Justin Trudeau knockoff mayor <laughs> yeah. was having a presser 
on the steps of City Hall right. and everybody's in a mask. Okay. All right. Um, like overnight. He, well, like he kept saying, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Like that was surprising. Yeah. For him to think. Well, what is, why, why is he queuing? It's like I say in my book, it's like prophetic that he says, I'm going to die. I'm through. I'm through. Like who would, who would say that? I always also joke when he says, at one point he's like, I need some water. And I'm like, oh, would you like a menu, George? Would you like to order something? <laughs> like, could you imagine being, you're arrested and you're like, I'd like to have some water? Like, no. Yeah. Th- this is, that's the thing is like, and he was we're crying all taught. Because of the claustrophobia and stuff, you know, it just was weird. It was yeah, very weird. It did seem like it, like cameras were rolling and then there were there were elements that were meant to be taken, you know, clipped out. You know what I mean? Like there definitely seemed like that, I have to say. So who do you think when we were saying they and I know you said like the government, the media, whatever, do you feel like can you identify any entity that you think is responsible for these kind of operations or this particular operation or anything like who does Derek Chauvin work for? Was it FBI? Like was George Floyd when you said you thought he was an informant? Because there is that pattern where they get arrested, they're in FBI custody, and then these events happen with those people at the center and the media presents it as being, well, uh, the FBI needs more power to retain people indefinitely. But of course, I see it as that's when they turn these guys. That's when they turn them. Right. And, yeah. And and set them right. up. Right. So when I when I say they, I mean, I'm speaking of the government. I don't know exactly which three-letter agency, if it's the CIA or if it... I did find, by the way, Nabil, little Nabil, yeah. the nephew, who's on the side of the road. He's wearing a shirt yeah. with letters. Yeah. CIA is right on the. Sh- no you could see way. a dude. C- I swear, I'm going a C to go back and I and then A. I did see it, the letters, but I didn't. Focus. In my in my book, I outline it, um, and I'm like, huh, is it is it just a coincidence? So I know that Maurice was an was an informant for the MPD, and I did interview a DEA investigator who tells me a lot of times they don't even know that they're informants, right? right? They're unwitting informants. They just think they're getting out of trouble by saying little things here and there, probably, maybe. Yeah, and I don't know whether that's the case with him, but I'll say another thing as well, that Alexander Kang files a motion in court asking for everything regarding George Floyd being an informant for either the FBI or the MPD. But because it was conveniently he's sentenced out of court and I called the lawyer and I asked him, can you tell me anything about that motion? It never comes to, it never comes to light. So I'll tell I'll ask you one question. Who do you know who organized the not one but four funerals? Nah. The United States government. Really? A PR agency that works for Al Sharpton that was involved with the Podestas and painting a positive image of of Ukraine back in 2016. Mm. Like I I had someone who showed up after, I think, I think he saw me on Red Pill and he, he, he goes, you're the only person that has done more research than me. And he created a telegram channel and he was in the deep bowels with me that I could be like, Oh, I called him Run. Okay, Run. I'm doing a. I'm doing the the chapter now on on the funerals. So he he would he did pattern recognition like me. I just know that he was a hacker. He was homeless for a hot minute, and he was Canadian. And he would just send me all his stuff. I mean, he provided an immense amount of of information to help me. And so when I found out that it's the government. And I told him about this Podesta Ukrainian. He goes, wow. He goes, you were in the lion's den and now you just put your head. He goes, this scares me. And a couple of days later, he disappeared. And he goes, I'm going to be gone for a while. And I remember, I'm like, would he delete our, would he delete our telegram? So I went and I backed it up. And I swear to you, like four days later, he deleted it it all. 
And then I would write to him and go, I miss you. Like, there's nobody I can talk to. And he blocked me on Twitter. I think if I were to guess, well, I scared him. But I think also he was offended that I rent my movie for less than $5. But it's not even, it's my movies plus. I'm not even allowed, Monica, to sell my movie on Vimeo because Vimeo, once they banned me uh, one time. But two, Vimeo in 2023 only accepts PayPal, and I'm been they banned off PayPal. They only accept PayPal. Could you oh, believe that's it? That's funny because then PayPal can be the gatekeeper. You know what PayPal. I mean? PayPal. They don't have to. PayPal. Work. Wow. Okay. So tell people then. I would really encourage people to support your work by buying this movie or renting it. I don't know if you can rent it or buy it or whatever, but... You can rent it for less than five bucks. Yeah, I think that is uh, well worth it. I would encourage people to do that because to see it's the anatomy of a narrative. Yeah, it just absolutely shows you how, like it's in in a little few minutes more than an hour and you could pick up, uh, you can just see the the, the 30-second clips you catch here and there but if you get the whole body of it together, you see the real timeline. It's really yeah. cool. It's really Thank cool. I, and I, again, give shout out to Sean Hibbler, who has a big fan base. And uh, I, I really had to struggle to find an editor, uh, especially of his caliber. I, I really feel that it was meant to be. It's because I, I Well, very well done. Oh, well done. And <laughs> and I just want to say, someone asked why I'm on crutches. Well, I've, um, I'm I'm. I'm in Miami and I've torn my meniscus Ouch. and I really need help to get treatments and I, I need help anyway because my work is not really uh, supported or even found. So I have a gifts and go. And just to tell your audience, like I raised a million dollars pretty much single-handedly. Well, I back then did Indiegogo and Kickstarter and had a grant, but I raised the million dollars and, and I've been working for a year to, and I haven't been able to raise $15,000. Just cover my footage. What is it? Gifts and go? What's it called? It's gifts and... Oh, yeah, because I'm off of uh, most uh, places. I'm going to drop it in the in the chat okay. right now because I would, you know, really love the support. And, you know, the, the movie, my movies plus, that's, it's not me. It, it's going to a... To a I'm very grateful for them. But if someone wants to support me directly, um, this is the Gibson Go. I don't know if I could put it in the private chat. Uh, whichever you want. I can move it around if that's the only that's place it. you've got it. Okay. Um, and I will put that in the show notes. And then if people, you know, I have a, the detox guide that I sat with Monica and we went over it. And I don't know if I had shared then that Smashwords not only deleted my detox guide, they deleted my six-year profile and all my other e-books. Isn't that awful? I just, I haven't been hit that hard, but I was devastated by some deplatforming, really terrible. And I never recovered because I'm not super techie or anything, and I just, I can't stand it. I mean, These blows knock you out if you have no extra capacity. It's just, you get into damage control, and instead of creating and researching and doing your craft, you're just plugging up holes and playing whack-a-mole. So then let's wrap. Do you want to try to play the trailer right now? Sure. So thanks, everybody, for listening. This is going to be on the audio uh, in the Deep Dives with Monica Perez feed, and I'll repost the, our last conversation. Uh, but yeah, let's see if we can, let's, uh, you're probably savvier than I am. Let's see. Freedom of speech, folks. Don't touch me. I got this all on camera. Watch out. Don't touch me. Third precinct is up in flames. We begin with breaking news in South Minneapolis. Caught on tape, a black man pinned to the ground, later dying after a white officer kneeled on his neck. It started with a report of a forgery in progress and ended with Floyd's death. The situation has become volatile in the third police precinct tonight. As police officers and protesters clash over a man's death. Miles from Minneapolis, anger, frustration pouring into the streets of America. I can't breathe! It all stems from this video. What we saw was 
on the video saying, I can't breathe. Police officers involved have all been terminated. Yeah. 